185 miles south, a hardcore punk rock podcast. What's up, everyone? This week on the pod, we have Brad Logan of Leftover Crack. Helping out it is Ben Edge and episode one, the legend Joe Rivas. Kick us off, Ben. Um, well, I think we're going to uh, talk to Brad a little bit because he has a lot of exciting shit going on in his life right now. Um, Brad, we met. When did we meet? We met in probably the end of the 90s when you were in the band F minus. Yes. That, yeah, that would, that would be accurate. All right. Um, but real quick, Brad, how, how punishing was Ben back in those days? <laughs> ben was awesome, actually. Uh, and, and I, I believe you were in field. Were you in fields of fire? Or was there yeah, another? Yeah. It was fields I, of fire. That's right. Yep. That was the band I was singing for at the time. We did a bunch of shows together at that time. And then, um, yeah. yeah, his, his optimism was a, a, a source of constant wonder for me. As well as the sideburns, constant wonder. Mm-hmm. I don't think he had sideburns. He didn't have sideburns then. Okay. Oh. Right on. All right, Ben, sorry to cut, cut in. Kick it off. <laughs> um, we didn't, I don't know that much about you, Brad, despite having known you for over 20 years. So tell us, uh, firstly, um, where you grew up and how you got into punk music. Uh, I grew up in uh, Huntington Beach, California, Um uh, I wasn't born here. I was born in Phoenix, Arizona, but my family moved to HB in the early seventies. Um, but I do, I am conscious of, of, uh, some parts of my life that, that date back to being a child in Arizona, uh, most specifically just the excruciating, crushing, punishing heat, <laughs> um, and just dust, you know, um, so I grew up here. I grew up in Huntington Beach. And uh, what was the second question? How did I get into punk music? Yeah, how did you get into Yeah. You know, it, it was by, um, you know, I, I was in close proximity to other people who were getting into punk music. I think that <clears throat> my friends and I, um, when we were in probably seventh or eighth grade, um, stumbled upon Rodney on the Rock. And, uh, we, you know, we, we were conscious of, cause we were like, you know, rock fans and, and, uh, you know, we were into, you know, all, all the sort of big bands of the, when I was in grade school, it was like mid seventies or something late seventies. Um, you know, so we were all into Zeppelin and Sabbath and, you know, all that kind of stuff. But, uh, we had heard of the sex pistols <clears throat> and, um, and other bands, the damned and, you know, dead boys and stuff through, uh, you know, like just picking up the, the rock magazines that we would grab every week from Seven Eleven, you know, and, and, uh, cream and, um, uh, rock scene. I remember getting my hands on and, and, uh, um, and just being like, you know, just blown away, you know, aghast at like, Oh my God, look how crazy these guys look you know, what the fuck is going on, uh, in England and in New York. And then I I remember stumbling upon Rodney on the rock, um, you know, and we weren't like part of any scene, you know, we were just little kids. Right. I don't think, I think I'd been to one concert, maybe Elton. My first concert was Elton John at Dodger stadium. I was a little, you know, I was like 10 or 11 and, and, um, 
Uh, and I'd been to Black Sabbath at, in, in Van Halen at Anaheim Stadium. Uh, oh, and Kiss at Anaheim Stadium. Um, but, you know, no gigs or any, you know, clubs or anything like that. Um, but I remember specifically stumbling upon my parents had this like stereo record player, eight track player, all in one combo that sat in the living room of our, of our house. And they would let me listen to it occasionally, right? Like, okay, you can just, you know, they're doing, you know, off in the kitchen or doing whatever they were doing. And, and, uh, um, Sunday night was one of my nights and I was just flipping through the channels and stumbled upon riding on the rock. And, uh, um, that was really the first place that I got to hear, um, the pistols and, uh, um, you know, all of those first wave sort of bands and, and, uh, um, and I was just like freaked out. <laughs> it was like, Oh my God, these guys sound exactly what they look like. You know, exactly. It just, it sound like they look. And, uh, but it was, you know, it was a few years before, um, you know, I guess the defining aspect was cutting my hair, right. And, and cutting and dyeing my hair. Um, so <clears throat> it was a few years before I would do that. And, and, uh, I did go to some shows, um, early on and, and, uh, because I had, some, this is probably a way longer answer than you guys want. So you can just shut me down at any time. Keep going, man. It's cool. Feel free to just bring the hammer down, you know. Just like roll with old, it, man. Old guy fucking rants, you know. Nope. We're vibing. Keep going. Okay. So uh, I had some friends who lived, you know, in the track across the street from me. You know, I was in suburban Huntington Beach, and they lived in the track across the street, and, and we went to the same school. And these guys moved down here from Pasadena, and their roommate was a guy who was a doorman at the Whiskey A-Go-Go in Hollywood, and, and – um you know, he would take us up there with him on, you know, he'd be like, Hey, there's a show going on tonight. I'm going to work. You know, you guys want to come along. And so it would be like five of us, you know, um, there were, th th there were three brothers, you know, that who moved down from Pasadena and then, you know, a couple other friends of ours. And we would pile on this dude's van. He would take us up to the whiskey and, uh, we'd get <laughs> like, you know, walk past the line of like these hipsters, you know, these little fucking kids. And, and he would let us in early. And at that time they had two shows a night at an eight and 11 and we'd have to stay for both shows, you know, and, and, um, they clear out the, the, you know, the club after the first show and, and they'd have to hide us backstage upstairs backstage. And, and, um, so I was privy to all of this sort of like, um, you know, I guess, you know, early scene stuff, but, you know, I wasn't aware of how like, um, you know, the, you know, the impact hadn't been felt yet. And it was just like, it was just a thing, you know, and, and, uh, but I remember, you know, we went to see, um, uh, the weirdos, um, and, and I think the weirdos in shock, uh, one night. And then, uh, what year would that have been? Probably 78. I want to say, yeah. <laughs> you know, but, but I wasn't a punk, right. We, you know, we weren't punks. We were just kids, right. We, we, you know, we, we haven't, we hadn't even defined ourselves as anything. Right. And, uh, I, I remember, but these stick out, you know, these are vivid because, you know, they were my, it was my first exposure to any of this stuff. And, um, so I remember the weirdos and, uh, the weirdos in uh, shock in their fucking heyday, I want to say, and, uh, suicide commandos we saw, um, Judas priest we saw, um, Ramones 
Christmas night, we saw the Ramones of like, you know, Road to Ruin tour, whatever year, you know, 78, probably, maybe, maybe that was 79. Um, uh, and then other rocker shit, you know, like, uh, um, God, what's that band? Um, not 10 years after. One of those kind of like, you know, those like, you know, bluesy kind of, we'd see shit like that too, but, um, and so, I wasn't, you know, I was like, wow, this stuff is amazing. I was all in with the Ramones. I was like the Ramones. I have the fucking shirt. I got the records. I'm down. I was all in with Judas Priest fucking down. Um, uh, you know, it was still that, that was like, um, I didn't buy in and, and really cut my hair until a couple of years later, you know? Um, and, uh, uh, and, and prior to that, I discovered, uh, the germs and black flag and, and, um, uh, and was going up to LA being dragged up to LA by my friends who were punks. Um, uh, it, you know, in the late seventies and to see, you know, bands up there and, and, uh, uh, going up with long hair in those days was kind of a, you know, <laughs> was a dangerous policy, you know, and, and maybe not so much in Hollywood, but, but going to anything around Orange County was, was, um, uh, you know, what wasn't the smartest idea. And, and, uh, uh, there were very clearly, you know, clear lines drawn behind, you know, but the, the rockers and the punks, right. And, and, um, you know, us versus them and, and, and at least to me anyways. And, and, uh, um, so I got into all these bands before I actually, you know, made the jump. And, and then when I, you know, cut my hair, I was like all in and just started going to all the shows and, you know, anything I could get my hands on. I didn't have a car. So I, you know, a lot of times there would, and it was probably the same for you, Ben, you know, everybody just piles into somebody's fucking car. You know, we throw some gas in and we drive up to LA with no idea of how we're going to get in. Nobody had any money. You know, it's like, if we had any money, it went to beer and it's like, yeah, we're just going to this thing and we're just going to figure out a way in, you know? Um, and sometimes we all got in together. Sometimes it was every man for himself. Sometimes we never even made it into the show. We just hung out in the parking lot and drank and, and talked shit because, you know, the parking lot was its own scene. Right. Um, and so, uh, does that answer that question? I don't even know. No, yeah. it totally does. Do you have, do you have standout memories of any early shows like that are vivid or does it all kind of just run together? Uh, well, those, you know, those ones that I mentioned at the whiskey were, were, ex- you know, extremely vivid. And, uh, and then, you know, we, it, it was like, okay kids you know go backstage and you're gonna we're gonna we're gonna leave you in the care of the fucking ramones while we clear out this crowd you know and and we were literally just you know sharing the backstage with the ramones and, and judas priest you know and and uh, i remember ufo who was another band that we were into you know it's like the dudes from ufo were there you know and and uh but they didn't care i mean we were little kids they were just like oh my god look at these fucking guys running around you know and and um um you know, I remember giving Joey Ramone a dollar bill to sign and he stuck it in his pocket, you know, that one, like, <laughs> you know, and, and, uh, um, but some of the early, uh, you know, punk shows that I was seeing, um, post, uh, hair was, um, God, that's kind of all a fucking blur really. Um, uh, you know, I just went to so many and, and, you know, a, a lot of it's fuzzy, um, and I count not getting in as going to the show too, you know, but yeah. some of the bands that I saw were, you know, the, the, 
you know, the circle jerks were, um, were insane, uh, fear, um, um, black flag. Uh, how many different singers did you see of black flag? I only saw the Henry Rollins black flag, but okay, it, was, right on. it was damaged era. Right. Ben, uh, or excuse me, Brad, uh, how do you make the transition from being like, a a participant to wanting to do your own band. And what is the first band that you start? I got drafted into this band called the OZ Heroes, which was, uh, um, uh, Mark Alva, Tony Alva's brother. And, uh, um, uh, Emil, who was later in black flag, um, was the drummer of that band. Uh, and I took the place of Margo from the go-go's who was the guitarist. um, and uh, uh, this kid named Lane who stays and they, they, you know, they were just seeing kids. Right. And, and, um, and uh, Marco had left and, and uh, you know, I was just drafted in, I think it was Margo. Maybe um, there was another guy, the guy from the three o'clock Greg. Um, maybe I took his place, but I was in good company. Right. They, they were, you know, both just insanely, you know, uh, amazing guitarists. And, and I remember Mark, you know, just going, well, you can play guitar. You want to join my band? <laughs> and, uh, I was like, sure. And, and so they were, you know, um, the OZ hairs were like the germs, you know, I want to say, and, uh, um, you know, it was hardcore and it was in that fashion and, and, and you know, um, Dez, uh, from black flag actually was the second guitarist, um, for a few shows. So it was the two of us. Um, and, and my first show with that band was at, at, I believe it was at the whiskey at go, go, um, opening for, uh, UXA. And, uh, and I was so nervous, you know, um, and, and we all ate like acid and mushrooms and, and I drank myself blind, you know, uh, you know, it was just out of nervousness. So by the time I got on stage, I was too drunk to play, but then the, you know, the mushrooms kicked in and it just shit got weird. Right. And I, I talk about it in the book that I, uh, architects of self-destruction and, and, uh, ended up freaking out and leaving all my gear on stage and just running out of the whiskey, like, ah, you know, just, uh, um, you know, confusion and, uh, you know, all my gear got clipped and, and, um, uh, you know, it was a great time really, you know, uh, that was my introduction into, you know, welcome to, uh, your first band and, um, always keep your eye on your guitar you know? Yeah. Was, no pressure playing with Des, huh? Uh, well, you know, Des is just a really, was just really fucking cool. You know, he, he was a fucking punk, you know? And, and, uh, he, he, he was like Des from black flag, but he wasn't like, um, you know, bands around that time, you know, uh, they all hung out, you know, they would hang out at the, you know, outside the gigs and, and, you know, all those guys and the circle jerks guys and, and, um, you know, there was like a punk house and, and, you know, not too far from there called the Oxford house. And, and, um, you know, guys like Pat Smear and, and, you know, I mean, these, these were guys that were, you know, and women, they were just part of the scene. Right. So I was enamored because I was fans of their band. It was like, Oh fuck, there's Keith Morris, you know? And, uh, um, but they weren't dicks, you know, everybody was like, cool. They, they, um, um, they had already been hanging out and, and on a street level for, for, you know, a few years. And, and, uh, 
and Des was great, man. He was, you know, uh, a great guitar player and just, you know, a, a fucked guy, man. He was awesome, you know. So um, t- tell me about you. There's like a big gap in your involvement in punk between what the early 80s and maybe somewhere in the mid 90s to the early 90s. Yeah, I would say, um, uh, you know, without going too much in it, or I guess I can, depending on what you guys want to talk about. Um, uh, you know, about probably 85 or 86, um, I became hopelessly addicted to narcotics and, uh, and dropped out of the scene entirely. Um, for that reason, it became, you know, addicted to narcotics in the sense of it becoming a lifestyle. Right. And, uh, um, I just couldn't make it to the gigs anymore, you know, and, and, uh, you know, I was too strung out and, and hustling to, uh, uh, you know, to support that lifestyle became a full-time job. Um, so that's what I did. And occasionally I'd pop my head into shows, you know, um, uh, but mostly I was just running in the, you know, extreme underground of that lifestyle. Um, you know, um, just, <laughs> you know, sleazy motels and jails and, and shit like that. So, um, I didn't think I was going to survive it, but, you know, by the, by the uh, early nineties, you know, 92, 93, um, you know, a a way out was, was presented to me and I took it, you know, uh, of that way of life. And, and, uh, um, and I didn't think I would ever be in a band ever again. You know, um, I was just a happy to be alive kind of guy, you know? Um, so, I started ducking into shows again and, and, you know, a lot had changed between the mid eighties and, and, uh, <laughs> in the early nineties. Um, uh, but you know, and I followed bands too, because I, you know, uh, in those periods in that late eighties period, you know, I would, um, go shoplift, you know, uh, records and, and cassettes from music stores and <laughs> yeah, <laughs> kind of stay up on what was going on. But, you know, I, I was into really, and I don't know if, you know, I was, I got into the, the, um, sort of that post-punk scene of like, um, you know, Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds and Einstein and Neubaden and, and, uh, um, you know, that era of, you know, Lydia Lunch and, and, you know, stuff like that, that, um, whatever you want to term that, that era, you know, um, fetus and, and, you know, um, so I was kind of, uh, you know, that was kind of the stuff I was listening to, uh, though I did, uh, you know, um, I remember popping up at a bad religion show and it was probably no control era, whatever. When was that? Do you guys know? 89. 89. So I, <laughs> so I popped into that and it was like, holy shit. You know, uh, I remember seeing them in the mid eighties, um, they would be, it seemed like they would be on every show, you know, in Godzilla's or, or, um, um, the whiskey or wherever. And, and, uh, and, uh, you know, they were cool, but I, I wasn't really a fan, you know, I, um, they, it was just kind of, in, in my opinion, you know, their music in the early part of their careers. And I'm sure you would agree. was a lot different than, uh, what started happening around suffer no control against the grain. Right. Hundred percent, like the triumvirate of 
uh, for me, the rebirth of, of my interest in, in punk rock, it, it was like, I was kind of burned out on it by then, you know, and, and uh, uh, it was like, fuck, man, this stuff is, you know, this is a, it, and all of the, you know, I, I, I went to the Palladium to see him and they were, you know, on Epitaph, you know, an independent label and, and they were not above ground at all. And the play, you know, it was fucking sold out. Right. Um, and, and I remember being like, uh, um, really attracted to that too, that, that they were doing it on their own terms, you know, uh, without any connection to, you know, a, a major label hype machine, you know, and, 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 uh, they refined their sound, but not in a commercial way, you know, or, or like, you know, they didn't cheapen their sound, right? It was just like, um, and to me, nothing like that had been done before, you know, except, you know, there was some catchy punk Husker do and, and, uh, um, you know, naked Ray gun or whatever. But, uh, um, I, I think those guys really, you know, hit the fucking nail on the head, at least in LA in that period, you know, at that yeah, time. there's no formula to suffer. That's like brand new and, and wacko. Yeah. Right. I had heard anything like that, you know, like that catchy, you know, with, you know, lyrics that were intelligent and, and, and thoughtful, you know, with that much force, it was like all the awesome elements, right? Yeah. hundred percent. And the song structure is a little different. Like there's popular bands before, but they're following the same song structure and yeah. Suffers just wild. Brad, you get into like roading in the early nineties. How does that come about? Uh, that was, uh, um, again, by just, you know, I just stumbled into it. Uh, I, I had, um, uh, you know, once I, I, I got clean, you know, I had no jobs, no job skills, unless you consider, you know, burglary, a job skill. I, I was, uh, um, <laughs> so I started, <laughs> so I started, uh, I had some friends, you know, from the scene who, uh, you know, were working, you know, in, in, uh, for golden voice and in production and, and, uh, um, you know, I'm like, God, I, you know, I should really get a job. And, and they were like, you know, um, well, you know what, you want to work, work these shows and help, uh, you know, set up these, these shows. And, and, uh, um, and that's what I started doing, you know, uh, working for golden voice in, in, uh, uh, you know, the early mid nineties and, um, and, um, and it was the perfect job for me because, uh, you know, I found that I loved going to shows and I loved seeing anything and everything, you know, it was just a sponge I'd been, you know, um, uh, you know, I'd been underground for so long. I was just a sponge for anything. And, and there was a lot of good music around that period. And, and so, um, you know, I was working at the Palladium, the palace, the, you know, whiskey, Roxy, where, wherever the case may be. And. I was going to this club Bogarts a lot too, which was in Long Beach. I don't know if, if you guys ever heard of Bogarts. Um, uh, it was 21 and up, but they had all the touring bands would come through. I think, you know, the Jesus saw the Jesus. Those are there, the, you know, bad seeds played there. Um, and I had a friend who was a waitress and she would just get me into anything. I had no fucking money. Um, and, and I would go to anything, but anyways, so working production, uh, I ended up making friends with, um, a guy who was the guitar tech for, uh, Pennywise, Rancid and Offspring, like all three of them. Uh, his name was Dave Reese, is Dave Reese. And, uh, and, uh, you know, we, 
because they would come through, you know, all the time. And it's, and, and, um, you know, uh, they were just, he was a cool guy and their crews were cool dudes. And, and, uh, he just called me out of the blue. I think I might've said to him, Hey, if you ever need a guitar tech for anything, you know, uh, let me know. And some time went by and I just got this random call from Germany one day and, and, uh, on my voice, you know, I had a, on my landline telephone <laughs> with a fucking voice, you know, recorder message yeah. machine. And it was like, Hey, you know, Ransom needs a guitar tech. You interested? I was like, what? And so I called them back in Germany, you know, and, and, uh, I had no experience other than I knew how to tune guitars and play guitars and, and, um, and was a punk, you know, and, and that was apparently good enough. And <laughs> so it's like, cool, we'll try out, you know? And, and, uh, um, and I did my first show with them uh, and I'd never, I didn't know the band was, uh, in Seattle. Um, uh, right after when out come the wolves came out and, and, um, I was already a fan of the band, but I didn't, I didn't know them. You know, I'd seen them play and, and, you know, had those records and, and, uh, and, and, you know, we hit it off. We, you know, I got along with those guys and, and, uh, you know, so they has, asked me to stay on and, and, you know, I stayed with them for about five years, maybe more. Um, and then would take side jobs in between their tours and, you know, started working for other bands and, and, you know, really that's how that, you know, gig is, you know, just word of mouth. Yeah. We're looking for a, you know, tour manager, guitar guy or drum guy or whatever. Oh, well ask so-and-so and, um, and that's how I did that. And, and that, again, I never thought I would end up playing again. I was just happy to tune guitars, you know, and, and, uh, and watch bands and get paid for it. That was like, you know, I'd made it. That was the, you know, the, yeah. the, the pinnacle, you know, it's like, didn't get any better. Right. What was that time like though? Cause like you're on, you're with Rancid, they're blowing up. Like the punk explosion is like in full force. Like, is this just mind blowing to you since you've been there kind of, pretty close to the beginning and you'd seen like ebbs and flows. Like what was this like you experiencing this, this crazy explosion? Uh, it, it was mind blowing. And, and uh, you know, but I, to me, I, I thought that it was that these bands deserved this kind of attention, you know, and, and, uh, um, and, and like, you know, same with like Nirvana, you know, and, and who, who really kind of opened the, the floodgates, I think. And, and, uh, cause prior to that, it was like, you know, what did you have? You know, you had fucking hair metal, you know, sunset strip hair metal, which was horrifying, um, <laughs> decline of Western civilization part two. Right. And, and that was reality, man. And, and uh, great and, flick though. Great. Oh, flick. it's the best one, but hands yeah. down the fucking best one. Amazing. Yeah. Um, uh, but, uh, so you had that and you had just like really horrible, like MTV 120 minutes, just poppy, just, you know, fucking garbage, not, not hitting the mark, you know, as, as far as I was concerned and, and the bands that I thought were great, you know, um, you know, the bad seeds, Neubotten, you know, um, stuff like that, you know, uh, was just getting zero fucking attention, you know? And, and so, but I had, you know, a wide berth, man. I mean, I liked a lot of different stuff. And, and, um, so when, you know, the epitaph bands, you know, of that era, um, you know, started to blow up, it would, to me, it was, um, you know, Rancid was my favorite. And, uh, um, I was like, Oh yeah. You know, 
um, better these guys than, you know, um, I don't know, you know, whatever was, uh, um, you know, well, better, anybody better, that helped yeah. you so good, right? It's like yeah. better them than anybody. Better Everyone else, yourself. any of this other fucking bullshit, you know? Right. Right. And, and so, um, cause you know, I knew those guys and, and they were like, you know, they, they came from the fucking shit, you know? And, uh, um, so I, it was exciting and I was and and, you know, I, I felt that the band was fighting the good fight, you know, to provide quality music to the, to the world, you know, and to the people. And, uh, and it was total chaos, man. I mean, uh, um, which is, a uh, um, you know, an arena that I'm totally comfortable in, you know? So it was great. Yeah, Ben Ben has a question here. He says, uh, are there any wild stories from the road? And did you have any threesomes? <laughs> With Ranson? No. <laughs> Just on the road. Uh, it's, it's a gag question from Ben, I believe. Ben, you weren't serious, were you? I was serious about the first part, which is wild stories being on the road. Um with Rancid or, or, or any other bands from that time when you were a roadie, when you were primarily a roadie, like just things that stuck in your mind. It's like, wow, that was a crazy night. I don't mean sex. I mean, it could be, but could be anything. Um, yeah. But also Ben wants to know the second part. Cause he took his pants off back when you said that you saw the weirdos in 78 at the whiskey. <laughs> as, he should, as he should have, you know, yeah. as he should have, um, you know, I, I don't kiss and tell, but I will talk about the first part and, and, um, Good man. you know, it's funny because a lot of what would seem, you know, what you could label as crazy is just so commonplace, right. To me that, that I didn't see it as crazy. And, and that could be said for a lot of the things I've been through in my life. Right. And, and, uh, I've always lived there, you know, I've always lived in, in the fucking chaos, you know, and, and, um, for better or for worse. And, and, uh, you know, one thing that, that pops up is I remember, um, when Rancid got down to Florida, that, that there was like this beef with these, like, um, these racist skins down there and, and, uh, he showed Florida. up to this one show and, and, uh, um, I might've been in St. Pete or something or Tampa. Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, um, and we had this big standoff like on the street man, and, and, uh, <laughs> um you know where there was like you know 15 of their guys you know this was after the show and uh um and then uh you know all of the band and the crew and you know we were out on the street ready to you know go fucking toe to toe and and uh um uh you know i'm not a badass man that wasn't something i was really interested in you know, doing, getting knifed, you know, it's like, fuck, man, I'm just doing guitars here. You know, I'm just a punk fan, you know, and, and uh, um, you know, but they came and, and, you know, they were threatening the band and, you know, it, which meant they were threatening us, you know, because the band were our friends and, and uh, you know, so we fucking stood out there, man, and we were ready to go for it. And I would have, if it, if it had come to that, you know, and, and uh, um, I would have taken whatever lumps were coming to me and, and, uh, but it was diffused somehow, um, you know, maybe Lars diffused it or somebody, I, I don't remember how it, it didn't happen, but it was pretty fucking tense for a minute. And I thought that was going to be, was going to be not good. Um, that one stands out. Um, uh, right on. 
you know, um, all of the other kind of stuff while I was roadieing, I mean, um, I think that, you know, all of the crazy people and, and, um, that were, you know, around us and attracted to us and, and, you know, attracted to that, to that setting and, and, uh, um, you know, the fans and, and it was just a different era, you know, it was a different era. This was pre, um, not a better era, just different, right. It was pre, um, you know, internet and, and cell phones even. And, and, um, it, so everything was like in fucking real time, you know, and, and, uh, um, right here, right now. Um, and, uh, um, so there was a lot of crazy things that happened, but nothing uh, that really stands out. Um, you know, I guess go traveling places was insane to me. I never thought I would leave, uh, you know, my hometown. I, I just didn't, you know, when I was, you know, strung out on dope, I didn't leave, you know? And, and so going anywhere was just insane to me going to like Japan or Australia to Europe was like, you know, I might as well have been going to fucking Mars. I never thought I would ever go to these places. Right. And it's also a wild time because like things are taking off and these bands are huge, but it's like they're, you didn't see this coming. Right. Like, and it's like the first time of them being huge. So it's like this wildness of a, of an explosion, right? Like no way you could have ever laid money down that any of these bands would have gotten huge, you know? And, and to me, you know, um, yeah, so that was, you know, and the band was on, you know, these guys were from the same places that I was from, you know what I mean? Punk gigs, you know, fucking house gigs, shit bill. And, and now they're on bills with like, you know, the Beastie Boys or the Foo Fighters or, uh, you know, um, Rage Against the Machine who were, you know, enormous. Um, uh, I mean, I guess you could have put money down that Rage Against the Machine would have been huge because that to, I always liked that band, you know, and, and I know that they're sort of a polarizing band, but, um, um, you know, they were on those bills and it was just, you know, playing festivals where Sting was, you know, Robert Plant and Jimmy Page were the headline. It was just like it was fucking laughable, right? Like, um, you know, how are we here? You know, this is crazy. Um, but at the same time, it filled that need in me to absorb everything, all music and all things music related. You know, I'd been, you know, the only thing I ever cared about in my life was all of those, you know, all the music, you know what I mean? So it was like, um, I was a kid in a fucking candy store. So at, at, at around this time, two things happen. You form the band F minus and then. Tim Armstrong from Rancid forms the record label Hellcat. And then you end up being F minus ends up being the first band on Hellcat. So how did that come about? And what else did you do? You were involved in Hellcat as an employee as well. Yes. Okay. Uh, Yeah. I mean, uh, F minus came about, Tim really pushed me into, into starting a band again. Right. And, uh, you know, I would play, you know, I'd be playing guitar after their sound checks or whatever, you know, on, on their gear. And, and, uh, and, you know, we just would, you know, became friends and we would just have conversations and, and, you know, he would ask me, were you ever in any bands? I was like, Oh yeah, yeah. I was, did this and that. And so how come you don't play anymore? I'm like, ah, you know, I just, I don't play anymore. You know, that was then. And 
says now and and uh so you know do you want to play i'm like fuck well yeah but you know didn't really have any self-confidence you know and and um he just kept hammering at me you know shit you need to start a band logan you need to start a fucking band and uh he never let up <laughs> on me until i was like you know fucking what i'm gonna start a band you know and uh you know i put together you know the beginnings of f minus and and um you know uh we played a couple shows and, and, uh, you know, he, he was like our biggest fan and, and, uh, you know, he, he was like, I'm starting this label and, uh, you know, I want to do a record with you guys, you know, and I want, he, he had a bunch of bands he wanted to do records with and he couldn't believe we want to do a record with us. You know, I thought we were just like, I loved us, but I thought we were also at the same time really fucking stupid, you know? And, and, uh, um, so I, I was pretty excited because I'd never made a record, you know? let alone for a subsidiary of epitaph, you know? And, um, but I think, you know, uh, there was a purity to us in our, in our, um, uh, uh, you know, we were just so green. Right. And, and we didn't have any agenda, you know, we, we didn't want to be anything. We didn't want, you know, we weren't trying to go to obviously playing that kind of, <laughs> kind of music, you know, it's like, where we fucking hit, you know, we headed straight for the top. I don't think so. You know, and, and, uh, uh, we were just doing, um, you know, what, what felt like, um, uh, what, what I felt like inside a, you know, and, uh, it was giving voice to that. And, and also it was giving, uh, you know, we were playing stuff that we weren't seeing around LA at that particular period of time, you know, a lot of, um, correct me if I'm wrong, Ben, you were around then too. I mean, yeah, F minus yeah. was like brutally fast, hardcore, but not in that kind of grind core power violence way, like traditional hardcore, but as hard and as fast as you can play traditional hardcore. That's the way I would describe it. Yeah. Yeah. We were yeah, taking- yeah. Brad, was that like, was, was that on purpose to be that fast or was it kind of like a happy accident when you're jamming and you're like, Oh shit, our drummer can do it. No, it was on purpose to be that fast. I mean, we're, you know, um, I was taking cues for the band, from the bands that I liked as a kid, you know, and, and, and the, the simplicity of it, you know, uh, which I felt was lacking, uh, at that period, you know, just the, 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 um, you know, the pureness and the simplicity of it. And, and, you know, uh, you didn't, the lack of anything that would, you know, resemble melody and finesse you know, and just pure fucking impact, you know, quote unquote. And, and you know, um, I wasn't seeing that. It may have been around, but, I, you know, there were grindcore bands and there were people playing extremely gnarly things, but there was nothing that was just, um, uh, you know, uh, pure hardcore, you know, I don't know if you want to call it, you know, I'm reluctant to use old school as a as genre, you know, or anything, but, taking cues from that because uh, we weren't trying to be, uh, you know, um, maybe I was trying to be some of those bands, but it never came out sounding like the bands, <laughs> you know, it's like, ah, fuck, I want to be the circle jerks. And we didn't sound like the circle jerks, you know, um, I wanted to yeah. be negative. I wanted to be negative approach and, you know, um, AF and discharge and, and, uh, but I just couldn't get it right. You know, um, uh, yeah, you you guys were really original sounding, and you had Jennifer and Erica in the band doing vocals, and that was that was kind of unique in and of itself. 
Um, right. And, and, it, and that came about, you know, uh, organically too. I mean, it was like, you know, I was the singer at first and, and, you know, it was just like, you know, I'm singing everything. And, it, you know, I was just like, fuck, well, uh, Jennifer, why don't you try one? You know? And she was like, sure. She didn't give a fuck, you know? And it was like, <laughs> Here, here's like, here's a song, write some lyrics to it. And, and then she did. And it was like, what? You're fucking amazing. You know? And then, uh, um, Sarah Lee was the the first guitar player and, and uh, she sung on some stuff too and she was amazing and and then when Erica got in the band you know we threw some stuff at her you know and, and mm-hmm. so, you know like I'd never heard her sing and you know but she had the guts right and and um, but I still didn't know what it was going to be like and and like out of her fucking mouth came just this like you know it's just from hell vocals that, you know, um, she, right. she was, you know, you, you know, her, uh, Ben, you know, she was just very slight, you know, and, and tiny. And it was like, fuck, where is that coming from? You are fucking amazing. You have to sing more. So, and it was just cooler to have everybody sing, you know, Adam sang some too, you know, we we're like the fucking Beatles of shit rock, you know? And, and, uh, <laughs> and, and it was like, but we just fuck with things, you know, like, all right, you know, you're going to sing this next one. And all three of us are going to sing, you know, um, a white collar crime and, you know, and, and, uh, all four of us, you know, and, and, um, would, you know, take turns doing it. And it was great, man. It was great fun. And, and there wasn't really, you know, any rules other than, you know, to, um, uh, to hopefully provide something that would, um, just turn people off. <laughs> Right. As someone that's been there from the beginning or close to the beginning, uh, we talk on the pod sometimes about, is there like a, a genre of punk that's in between like the original sound, like, you know, talking about like the weirdos or, or those early bands, like at, uh, you know, seeing the whiskey and then like the hardcore stuff, like is adolescence and other bands like that. Do they fall into like a genre in between, like first wave punk and hardcore. You know, it's funny. I was just thinking about that the other day and, and um, why was I thinking about, I don't know. Maybe I was reading something, but um, yeah, there were definitely uh, bands that bridged, uh, you know, the, the early scene and, 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 you know, what became, I guess, hardcore to me, you know, were bands like the adolescents and the germs in particular um, who came out of that early, you know, art scene, um, but paved the way for, you know, I mean, you know, to me, you know, that was the first grind, you know, Darby was the first grind core vocals, you know, and, and nobody had ever, you know, cared less about singing before. It was just like, it was fucking amazing. And, and, uh, um, so those two bands in particular and, and even black flag, you know, uh, um, who, you know, started before there was a, a, you know, a hardcore scene, you know, and, um, I, you know, there was stuff going on in the East coast, but I wasn't really paying attention to that. You know, um, middle-class too, uh, was another band I never saw, but, um, that out of Vogue's, you know, I remember hearing that out of Vogue seven inch in, you know, uh, the late seventies and, and, you know, maybe 1980 just being like, like, you can't do this. This is just like, fucking nobody does this what the fuck is this yeah it's weirdo proto hardcore yes you know and and you know it could be considered the you know 
amongst the first, you know, defining, um, doesn't sound anything like what is now, you know, but, uh, um, you know, it was just so like detached, you know, and, and, uh, um, scared the shit out of me, you know? Um, right. And, um, there's one of, one of those bands that I would put in that middle category came from your hometown, which is the crowd. Oh, the crowd. Yeah. And I didn't even know until recently you were in the crowd in the late nineties. I mean, they were a band that started in the seventies, but, um, what do you tell us about the crowd? Oh, I mean, I fucking love the crowd. I mean, that, that, you know, I, I could go on and on what, you know, you know, what they meant to me and, and that beach Boulevard record, you know, um, in, in particular and, and, um, you know, they, they were like, you know, they fucking started pop punk, you know, come on them and the buzzcocks, you know, and, and to me at least, um, Right. I, hate that term. I hate that term pop punk, but you know, uh, um, and the simple tones too. Right. And, and, uh, um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, they were just fucking legendary and, and, you know, they were, these were older guys than me and, and, you know, they were big stars to me in my hometown, you know, and, and, you know, I remember seeing them at shows and, 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 uh, you know, they would play, uh, you know, they would pop it, pop up at, you know, anywhere around town, like, you know, the, the rec center or, you know, some fucking, uh, you know, apartment complex. And it was just as every bit as meaningful to me as going to like, you know, some fucking arena show somewhere, you know, and, and, um, more meaningful. Um, so yeah, the crowd too, you know? Yeah. Brad, we'll, we'll end on, uh, leftover crack in your book, but I want to talk about, in 2018, Steve Soto passes away and you start playing with the adolescents. How does that come about? And then also, did you know Steve Soto? And and if so, what kind of guy was he? Uh, I did, you know, I, I was friends with Steve for, for a lot of years and, and, um, uh, he was another guy who, <laughs> you know, I would see around before I knew him, you know, in, in adolescence era. And I just thought, you know, Oh my God, you know, I can't even talk to this guy. He's just, there's the guy from the adolescence, you know, he's probably a fucking dick, you know? And, and, uh, mm-hmm. and, and then I met him, you know, I was working at this, uh, record label, um, called Dr. Dream and, you know, like sorting the mail or whatever the hell I was doing. And, and, uh, um, you know, one of his bands was on that label, uh, joyride and, and, you know, he would come in and hang out and kick it in the warehouse, you know, with, uh, know with with the other warehouse folks and and you know i'm just like you know i I got to meet him and he was just the fucking nicest funniest down to earth you know like um uh you know nothing like like i thought he would be you know and and uh you know he was punk royalty to me and and uh um and i'm like and we became you know fast friends and and uh shared many a in joke for a lot of years and and uh um, you know, I can't say enough good stuff about the guy and, 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 um, you know, anybody that knew, knew him knows, you know, he, he just had a fucking heart of gold, but, you know, it was one of the good ones, man. And, and, um, and so, you know, I, I, I got a call, um, one day out of the blue from him, you know, uh, Hey, we're going to adolescents are going to uh, the East coast and, 
we're doing some shows out there, you know, you want to come along and drive the van and sell merch. And, and, uh, uh, you know, I was in between tours of leftover crack and, and, uh, I was like, fuck, sure, man. I'd love to Sounded like a fucking great time. Um, and so I did, you know, we, we, they had a handful of shows, maybe, a um, two weeks worth of shows a week, maybe I can't remember. And, um, uh, and that's what I did. You know, I rode around with them, uh, you know, um, borrowed the van from leftover track and, uh, and I shared a room with Steve every night, you know, we were roommates and, and, you know, we'd be up till four or five in the morning, just, you know, fucking giggling like, a, you know, a couple of fucking grade school kids talking shit, you know, and, and laughing about stuff. And, and, uh, um, and, uh, and it was just, <laughs> you know, it was great. Right. You know, he's my fucking boy. And, and then, uh, they went home, you know, and I stayed in New York city and a couple days later, you know, um, he passed away and, uh, um, and, you know, I, I saw it on Facebook. Somebody posted on Facebook and, and, you know, RIP Steve, RIP Steve Soto. And I was like, what? what the fuck is this? I was just with him, you know, two fucking days ago. Is this a fucking joke? You know, and, and made some calls and, and, um, you know, it was no joke. And, and, uh, <clears throat> you know, <clears throat> it was incredibly, incredibly sad. Um, and, uh, um, you know, uh, and I remember thinking, um, you know, what an honor it would be though, to go out, um, you know, like he did with his boots on, you know, he was still playing shows, you know, he never retired, you know, he was still writing music you know, he was in like five fucking bands, you know, and, and, uh, um, you know, he was a model to me of, of, you know, uh, artistic integrity and, and just, you know, um, doing it because he loved doing it. And, 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 um, you know, and, and like, that's for a musician, I think that's like best case scenario, you know, it, it is dying while, you know, you're, you're still in it. Yeah. Um, that's just my opinion, you know, it's, um, and, and, you know, so, uh, I didn't hear, you know, anything from the band until a couple months later and, and they had, uh, a bunch of things booked. Um, adolescents had a, you know, European door, tour booked and, and, um, you know, like ride fest and some other shows. And they're like, you know, Steve would want us to finish these out, which I completely agree. You know, um, Steve was a warrior. Right. And, and, you know, you keep going, you know, you, you got gigs to do, you fucking do them. You don't cancel. And, and, and so they're like, <laughs> you know, you want to play bass. And, uh, I was like, gosh, you know, there's no way, man, come on, you know? Um, and, and, uh, you know, I thought about it for a bit and I'm like, if you guys want me to, uh, I, I would be happy, you know, to honor Steve in that way. And, 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 uh, um, and it was, you know, totally awkward for me, you know, um, and I imagine for them as well, you know, um, it's like, you know, the one constant in the adolescence all those years was Steve. And, and now there's this fucking guy, you know, in there. And, and, uh, so it was pretty intimidating for me. And, it, but I had, you know, they gave me like 40 songs, like, all right, we leave for tour in three weeks, you know, 
learn these fucking 50 songs or whatever. It's like, what? <laughs> you know, and there was nobody to show me these, you know, his bass lines, which, you know, the, you know, the earlier stuff was a little easier to pick up, but you know, the later stuff was like, Jesus, man, you know, and, and, uh, and I would just labor over these songs and, and still to this day, I'll hear them, you know, you know, one of the, they released a bunch of albums, you know, um, in the incarnation that they're, you know, they're in now. And, and, uh, be like, Oh God, I've been playing this wrong the whole time. It actually goes like this. And, and, um, but, uh, it was really intimidating and, and, uh, but you know, I'm not taking Steve's place. I'm, you know, honoring the man and, 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 and filling in for him and just trying to do, uh, you know, trying to be a fucking punker, you know, and, and carry on in that tradition, which he was a punker, you know, and, and, uh, uh, and you know, to me, that's what he would want, you know, somebody to go out there and give it your, you know, give it their all and, and, um, represent punk rock, you know, and, and, uh, um, which he was, you know, that was in his fucking heart. Right. You know? And, and so that's what I try and do, you know, make the guy proud. Um, yeah. I, I don't know if it comes across that way. I'm not the, you know, bass player that Steve was, you know, um, uh, but, and, and so after we did those shows, you know, they're, you know, they were like, <clears throat> they were like, Hey, you know, we want to carry on and do more stuff. You know, you interested? And I was like, fuck yeah. So that, you know, that brought us to where we are now. And we did that covers record, um, Russian spider dump, which was recorded and mixed and, and dropped just in time for the shutting down of the world, you know? And, and, uh, and uh but we got some shows coming up you know we're doing like halloween with um circle jerks and negative approach which to me is like <laughs> you know this all three of my dream bands right you know yeah that's, that's where f minus came from right so it's like fuck you know that rules Doesn't talk about it. uh talk about you getting into leftover crack and then also you have a, a book that's out now called architects of self-destruction yes uh talk about both these things Leftover crack was a, was an accident, you know, um, or maybe not an accident, but it, it was, uh, um, you know, I was working at Hellcat, right. And, uh, you know, and I talk about it in, in the book, but, um, you know, I just kind of did, you know, I would do whatever task was needed and, and, uh, you know, a little bit of everything. And, and, um, uh, you know, I didn't have a desk, you know, with my name on it. Right. And, and, uh, um, you know, and so one of the, uh, the gigs that I had was, you know, Tim was like, Hey, I want to sign this band. I want to do a record with this band choking victim. And, and, um, you know, they're in the lower East side of New York somewhere. Uh, you know, your mission, should you choose to accept it (laughs) is to go find these fuckers and, and, uh, you know, convince them to, you know, that this is the fucking, they're going to be stoked. Right. And, and so, Here's all, all I know is I have a phone number, you know, on a crumpled like piece of paper, a bag or something, you know, and, um, and, and, uh, go forth. And so I did, I went out to New York city and, you know, long story short, I, you know, dug these guys up and, and, uh, um, you know, on their turf, you know, in their world and, and, uh, um, which, you know, didn't freak me out because of, you know, where I came from, it, it you know, it, it was like, um, uh, you know, it was comfortable in that element, you know? Um, 
and so, you know, after, you know, we did the choking victim record and after that band sort of imploded, you know, the singer, uh, Sturgeon, um, uh, you know, wrote me, uh, a, I don't know how long it was, maybe a year later or something. And was like, I'm going to put this new band together. I want to call it leftover crack. Here's a cassette tape of some demos I made. You want to play guitar? And, uh, I was like, sure. You know, I mean, I already had F minus going, but I was a big fan of, uh, uh, you know, the stuff, the choking victim record and, and, uh, songs he sent on the tape, I thought were great. And, um, uh, he was living in Montana at the time and, and he came back, you know, he got himself to LA and, and just put a band together of, you know, um, uh, all the heads that were around, you know, it was me and Amory, um, who was the original F minus drummer and, and, uh, this guy, Mike Trujillo, who recorded the, uh, was an engineer and recorded the Choking Victim record. Uh, Alec Bailey, who was his old friend from New York City and who was in Choking Victim, who had moved out to the West Coast. Um, and uh, we did, you know, we did some practices and then did a show at Headline Records. Were you at that show, Ben? I don't know if you were at that one. I was not That's at it. that show. Not that you would be. <laughs> well, I went to a lot of shows there. It was a good chance I would have been there, but I didn't go to that one. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so, you know, there was like, you know, 10 shoppers there and, and, uh, you know, we played at like four in the afternoon and, and, uh, uh and that was the first show. And, and so, um, you know, it, it was kind of just one foot after the other. Right. You know, and then cool, you know, somebody wants to do a seven inch with us and, and, uh, and, you know, so we did a seven inch and, and, um, and then I guess, it, uh, you know, Sturgeon negotiated, a um, you know, some record deals with the a record deal with Epitaph Hellcat. Um, and I was, uh, I'd moved to New York city and I played a few shows in, in New York city with them. Um, but I was like, you know, uh, at the time, um, you know, F minus, we put that record out and we stopped doing shows, you know, we put that one record out and, uh, Erica lived out in New York. Erica's from New York. And, and, you know, I remember talking to those guys and to her and, and it's like, Hey, you know, you guys want to, you know, um, do some tours and maybe do another record and, and, you know, you know, be a band again for a bit. And everybody was into it. So Erica had just moved to, to Los Angeles and I'm like, fuck it. I'm, I'm moving back to LA and, and, um, you know, I'm sorry, leftover cock, but you know, you guys need to find another guitar player, which they did, you know, and, uh, it was Ezra, you know, who had played in choking victim and, and, uh, who's an amazing guitarist and musician. And, and, um, and that was that. And then they came through town, you know, F minus started doing our thing. And, and, you know, we were just, we were on tour constantly, you know, for what, however long that was, you know, the next four years or whatever. And, and, uh, mostly in Europe, you know, and, and, um, and then leftover crack came through LA one time and, and, uh, uh, and I was just blown away. They were still going, you know, and, and, um, uh, they had, uh, mediocre generica was already out. <clears throat> I remember they recorded that in New York city with this, you know, um, guy I hooked him up with, uh, who was my you know boss at the Bowery ballroom was this club I worked at in a studio in midtown and, at any rate, I saw him play at the showcase and I'm like, fuck, you guys are fucking great, man. If you ever want another guitar player, let me know, you know, I'd be down to rejoin. And, you know, a month or two went by and, you know, Sturgeon called me up and said, Hey, remember that talk we had about you playing guitar? You want to do it? And it was in. 
And I figured, you know, I could do two bands and, and also keep roading for other bands, which I was doing at the time too. You know, I would take, um, you know, I was making men's, you know, ends meet any way I could. Right. <laughs> so, so I would do anything, you know, like, um, uh, and, and so how the book came about, was that one of your questions? Yep. The book came about probably the way that all these kind of books come about, you know, like somebody in a fucking van on tour going, you know, somebody ought to write a book about this shit, you know, and that, <laughs> that was it. Right. It's like, ah, oh, yeah, somebody ought to write a book about this shit. And, uh, you know, that was said one too many times. And I'm like, fuck it. I'm going to be the guy who writes the book about the shit. You know, nobody else seemed to. Uh, to want to take, take up the task. But, you know, I mean, the history of that band was just, you know, um, another level, the next level of chaos and, um, insanity. Uh, but it was chaos and insanity to me while fighting the good fight, the good fight being, you know, pushing forth ideals like, you know, equality and, and, uh, you know, gender equality, um, you know, racial equality, um, you know, uh, um, you know, real unity and, 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 you know, um, uh, and a lot of times, con you know, having confrontations over that, you know, with people that were not into those things. And, and, uh, again, with the Florida, right. You know, in Florida and, and other places and, and, you know, getting death threats and, and, you know, um, you know, people coming after us at shows and, and, uh, um, and, and, you know, it was great fun. And it was, it, it, it was, you know, uh, like I said, fighting the good fight. So some of the, you know, so many crazy things that, that had never happened to me in a band or I'd never seen happen in a band setting were happening. And it's like, well, you know, I'm going to try and document this to the, so it took about four years from that, you know, fucking light bulb in the van to, you know, completing it you know, talking about it for two years and then actually roped in John Gentile, who was a, you know, an actual journalist and, and the guy who had experience, you know, um, uh, cause I'm not a journalist. Right. And, and, uh, but I wanted to do it in the, um, oral history format, which to me is my favorite, you know, um, about any topic because it's not, you know, then you're not winding up with a press release, you know, of like, you know, if one person writes it, you know, it's just my perspective, you know, and I wanted to have everybody's perspective and people that were not in the band and, and, you know, you know, I wanted to call all the contradictions in there because everybody sees things differently and, and, uh, and that's reality. And, and I wanted the reader to be able to make up their mind, you know, as, as how to, uh, you know, think about it, you know, at any certain topic, you know, I didn't want to jam it down somebody's throat. Um, oh, this is how you should feel about this, you know? Um, and I don't know if that comes across in the book, but that was the idea. And, um, uh, you know, but there was like, you know, so many people, you know, we, we interviewed like a hundred people and, and, um, it's something that if I had been trying to do it myself, it would have driven me to, you know, um, the fucking brink of mad, you know, I ended up fucking Edgar Allan Poe madness, you know, and, and, uh, <laughs> um, so I, I'd split up the, you know, interviews with John and, and I would go, you know, talk to these people and ask him this. And, and, uh, and then sometimes he would say, you know, why don't we talk to this person? Oh, that's a fucking great idea. Yes. Talk to that person too. Um, 
and he had that license to, 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 you know, bring ideas in and, and, uh, um, you know, where, then, where, can, where can people buy this book? Where can they find this, it? You can buy this book, you know, it's all over the, the, the internets, you know, um, you know, you can buy it at rarebirdlit.com. Um, you know, you can go directly to the publisher for it. Um, you can go, I know it's kind of expensive if you're, uh, out of the country and, uh, you know, Amazon has it. Um, a couple other, uh, you know, I don't know. I don't have the list in front of me. A couple other non Yeah, if you Google, if you Google leftover crack book, it comes up with like a million different spots to buy it. Yeah. Uh, if you buy it from Amazon, that is heavy irony. So check yourself. Uh, <laughs> it, is, it is heavy irony. And, and, you know, so, uh, you know, there are all, uh, plenty of alternatives to Amazon. I'm not pushing that by saying that it's on Amazon. No, for sure. But it is easy sometimes, right? Yes, I know. In and some, you can always just say it didn't show up and get your money back. I know people, I, in, know. I know people in some other countries have written me saying um, their book either didn't show up or it was, you know, twice the cost of the book to order from the States. And right. uh, in some places it's like, well, fuck that fucking blows. There is Amazon. I'm sorry, but there is Amazon, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, and until, um, you know, the publisher really fleshes out those channels, you know, um, that was what there was. Right. Um, you know, really the only place I'm pushing is go to river direct and, and, but but now, like you said, there's a ton of alternatives. And uh, I know I was presented with some later on that I passed on to some people in Europe that weren't, you know, Amazon. But some places, that's the only fucking thing there is, you know. Yeah, people are savvy. They'll figure it out. Totally. Uh, all right, let's wrap this up with one question for Ben. Ben, do you forgive Brad for going to that other guy instead of asking you to help him with the book? Um, I do because I, I don't think at the time Brad knew I was, uh, you know, in the middle of writing my own first book. So it's all good. I didn't, no know, I didn't know this. And then Ben went, oh, I'm writing this book on hip hop. I'm like, what? <laughs> well, part two, you know who to hit up. It's our man, Bedge. Absolutely. I'm taking it back to the old school because I'm an old fool. I'm taking it back to the old school because I'm an old fool. old school. Old School Spotlight. All right. We are going old school. And we're going to talk about the Social Distortion LP, Mommy's Little Monster. It came out in 1983 on 13th Floor Records. Hopefully, if Discogs did not do us wrong like it often does. Ben, what's your take on this record? I love it. It's their best record by far. And if you go on... Uh, Spotify right now and you look at their most uh, listened to records it's not even in the top four which is like a total shame because this is like that perfect you know early 80s North Orange County punk that comes out of that whole scene that spawned Agent Orange and the adolescence then you know Rick Agnew is an original member of Social Distortion like they were all sort of intermingled all those bands and and this is the classic for social distortion. I mean, you have another state of mind, which there's a funny story behind that. If you watch the documentary, another state of mind, it, there's a scene where Mike Ness says, I wrote this new song and, or I just wrote this new song on, on the road and he plays it on the acoustic guitar. And it turns out that was kind of faked and that they already had that song and they were already playing it on that tour at all those shows, which is kind of funny. Yeah. 
yeah, fully faked. And if you go to the archives and listen to the Sean Stern interview, he talks about that. So yeah, <laughs> and 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 I, like there's a certain um, vulnerability to Mike Ness's uh, in his lyrics that carry through into the new, you know, uh, countryish rock music that he does now. That, but I think there's something about his persona and his lyrics that really touch a lot of people's hearts, especially I think people who have damaged uh, pasts. Um, you know, he went through a big drug phase and, and I guess this would be in the midst of it maybe, or in before the really heavy shit happened to him. I always thought this record kind of should have been on frontier. Um, I guess 13th floor might be a self it's a, they self-released it uh, or their manager put it out. I'm not sure what the story is behind that label, but there's nothing else on the label except for another social distortion record. I mean, all the answers, anti-fashion, mommy's little monster, every fucking song, virtually every song on this album is a classic. And you still, and you do hear the very beginnings of that, of that kind of country kind of, there's a little bit of like a uh, cowboy country twang going on in there. If you, if you listen really closely. Yes, before he became the Bruce Springsteen of Orange County. This thing still rages. Yeah, they were the Rolling Stones of Orange County. There, there you go. (laughs) Brad, does this have a special place in your heart at all? You know, I have to say I agree with everything that you just said, Ben. And I I mean, it's like, you know, there's not a fucking losing tune on this record to me. And, and, uh, um, and again, it's that, you know, I think it's that purity of, of, you know, they had no expectations. Right. And, and, uh, you know, you couldn't really go anywhere being a punk band back then, you know, and, and, uh, um, you know, and, and Mike having the, you know, the past that he had and it's all here, you know, and, and, uh, um, it's just fucking flawless, um, to me. And I hate to be the fucking first records, the best guy, but this is their fucking best record, you know? Um, uh, it, it, and and not you know not shitting on anything they've done after this you know I, I think they're a great band you know and um uh still you know but uh this is like yeah I mean this was my era right and and I remember seeing them and, and just being blown away they were just miles above uh a lot of bands that I was seeing at that period you know um they they had like you know because there was a lot of uh, you know um, a lot of generic sort of punk out there, uh, um, at that time. And, and, uh, a lot of it, I didn't, you know, wasn't really into, you know, and, and, uh, but this was like, God, these, they have actual songs, you know, and, and it's not, you know, it wasn't poppy, you know, it was like, um, uh, um, it just really struck me that they had actual fucking songs and, you know, like the clash or something, you know, but, uh, they were from around here, man. And they were fucking our guys, you know, and, and, uh, and they were so good and they were a mess and they were so good, you know? Um, yeah, they're not, they're not poppy, but there is like so many layers of melody on here. And it still is like of that era where all the recordings sound old school. It's, it's really it. something- Yes. Yeah. It's, it's, it's something special. It's that mashup. It's still in the era where like the recording is like the fifth member in the band. Right. Which makes it really special. Yes. I love it. Yes. I love that too. 
you know, low fucking fi. And that wasn't even a thing. People weren't right. going for low fi. You know, nobody knew what they were doing, you know, and, and, uh, and, and that's like magic, man, to me. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm hundred percent for this record. Yeah. It's authentic. Joe, you love this record, don't you? I absolutely love this record. Yeah. Go in. Uh, yeah, it, um, you know, uh, I'll agree with the other guys that every song on this record's a, a hit. Uh, anti-fashion might be like the weakest song, but it's still fantastic. Oh, I love that song. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, you know, Roger has the, uh, the mixing board that this is recorded on in his studio now. So our, yeah, and our, our friend Roger, right. The same board gets used for this and uniform choice screaming for change. How about yep, that? Yep. Yep. <laughs> um, you know, yeah, yeah. It's thirteenth floor. I, I I don't have a, a first press. I have the the time bomb, uh, uh, you know, gatefold LP version of it. I never had the original. I had the original nineteen forty five twelve inch, but not 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 this record. That's great too, uh, and the playpen one as well. Yeah, yeah. Well, playpen's on that on that on that. Is it on that? It was a seventies yeah. too, though, wasn't it? I maybe I don't I don't know about that. I have a twelve inch, and then I have the Hell Comes Your House, which has Lude Boy and a live version of telling them. Joe, what's the best social D? Is it this or is it nineteen forty five? Oh, it's this for sure. The nineteen forty five stuff is 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 good. And and um, you know when you were talking about uh, 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 or Brad was saying, well, I don't know who said it that. Rick was in this band, but so was Casey. So that's, you know, so that's why like the song 1945 is exactly, uh, is, is Amoeba. I mean, it's the same, it's the exact same song with different lyrics. So, um, but it's, it's, it's fantastic. I, I love this record and, you know, yeah, Mike's, Mike's drug use, uh, whatever, you know, influenced some of the stuff. And then he had his, some spats with the law and then prison mound is like the, the, the cleanup, which is 88, I think 89. I don't, I, mean, I don't think he up. was on the other side of all that. Well, you know, not, not completely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Which is, you know, adds to the awesomeness of this, you know? Yeah. He was in it. Yeah. Yeah. Cause he was definitely in it. Cause the, the mainliner seven inch, you know, on posh boys, you know, prior to it. And that's absolutely about shooting heroin. So, or just um, in that lifestyle, you know, of, of yeah. right? Of the, the, the period, yeah. right? Well, this LP is flawless. Yeah. Like, it's it's rad. So everyone check it out if you haven't. I know that, uh, you know, the way that people look at Social D these days, it can be a mixed bag. But this record is undeniable. So, you know, we talk a lot of hardcore on this podcast, but we like that old school LA and OC shit as well. So uh, check this out if you haven't before. It's on all the streaming platforms. You know what to do. Handle business. The fight lasts for hours. Each ram battering the other dozens of times. Head to head. All right, we are going head to head. What we're doing is we're putting up the Angry Samoans LP back from Samoa, 
1982, Bad Trip Records up against Good God, It's Fear the Record. And that's 1982 on Slash Records. This is a brutal matchup. Brad, what you got? So what? what's the question? Which which one's better? Is that it? Yep. Which one's better or which one do you like more? I mean, you could objectively say that one is better, but you like one more because it connects to you more. Well, to be honest, uh, you know, when I was growing up, I didn't like either of them, you know. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> That's fair. Yeah. I, I mean, you know, I just thought that, you know, the lyrics were corny, right, to, to, you know, and and – I'm not a big guy on, you know, like jokey type, you know, stuff. And, and, you know, to me it was like, you know, once I heard the fucking, you know, GI, it's like, if you're not measuring up to fucking GI, you know, like, I don't want to know you. And, and not that anybody does, you know, but I'm still pondering those lyrics, you know, 40 years later. And, and, um, so that kind of, you know, I thought the music, you know, is the music is undeniable on, on both of those records, you know, but, um, back from Samoa, you know, lights out and, <clears throat> you know, coffin case and, or I mean, steak knife, you know, or like, that's like fucking LA hardcore, you know, um, uh, what became, I think. And, and, and the fear record is like, you know, the tempos and, you know, that was mind blowing too, man. And, and uh, you know, both of those bands were great bands. And, and, you know, I saw them and, and fear, I think was a little more musically advanced, you know, um, and, and, you know, they had some brutal riffs on that record, uh, uh, the record. Um, I don't know if it was reflective, you know, of their live shows, but, uh, and there were some hits, man, there's hits on both of them, you know, and, and, uh, um, you know, it's not anything that I, you know, um, wouldn't listen to but uh you know again it's just you know the lyrics are a turn off for me um yeah but in, in in fairness it is really rude to like try to stack people up to darby crashes like epic poetry <laughs> that's true right you and, know i mean you're talking apex lyric writing this is true yes i i know that 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 standard was set that you know i don't know if anybody's come close to that you know um since um, but that was kind of the standard that I was, you know, um, and anyways, I liked more like, you know, um, serious stuff and, and, you know, I take myself real seriously. And <laughs> so, yeah. you know, like the social D and, and, you know, um, uh, you know, the black flag stuff, the, the, you know, um, the germs that X Los Angeles, you know, and, and, uh, um, you know, those were heavy records, man, to me. And, and, you know, um, you know, this stuff was fun, but it was like, you know, a sugary snack, you know, didn't really have any sort of, um, nutritional value, I guess. And, and, uh, um, you know, I'm not talking shit on these, you know, that they, they, they definitely have their place in, in, you know, the history of Valley punk and these guys are my peers, you know, but I remember the time just being like, you know, yeah not really into it you know well i think that's fair you are you are arguing that this is a good matchup that we put these two against each other they're great and they're both they're they're different sides you know it's it's like the the samoans is just straightforward you know you can hear a lot of bands that come from that you know and and uh the fear is not it's not so easy to trace you know um what's that fucking song on there uh look it up 
Let's have a war. I'm just going to name them all. Beef bologna, Camarillo. I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, here, wait. No. Uh, I got New it right there. Right if you like saxophones. Well, the drumbeat on the fear is wild, right? Like foreign, what, what is doing that Foreign before? policy, Camarillo. Oh, yeah. You know, those are like, what the fuck is going on here? You know? Yeah. Um, you know, those were, those are good tunes, you know? Um, but Brad, when we were, when Zach asked you earlier about if there was that thing that happened between punk and hardcore, um, would you say that both of these records would fall into that thing in between? Absolutely. Okay. I do. Yeah. Cause they were both first wave, first waivers kind of, you know, I mean, tail end of the first wave. Um, um, it, and, and I, I agree with that statement that they're both bridges as well, you know, um, from the old to the new. See, Brad's Brad subscribes to 1.5 theory, Zach. Sorry. <laughs> that's our, that's what I call all that stuff. Yeah. But it like, couldn't it just be considered hardcore punk, Brad? Uh, well, it depends on the, you know, that has multiple definitions, you know, uh, even in the, you know, in the early days. Right. Um, right. you know, to me, hardcore punk was out of vogue by middle class, you know, and, uh, um, you know, minor threat and, and, uh, sure. bad brains, you know, uh, but I wasn't at the time when I was a kid, I, I hadn't even heard, you know, minor threat and bad brains yet. That's like, why fucking DC and New York? Fuck that shit. You know, like that was way on the other side. I could have <laughs> might as well have been on another planet, you know, <laughs> but the first stuff I heard to me that was hardcore was germs and, and middle-class. I don't know if anybody considers that hardcore, you know, and circle jerks. Right. So if you had to put Angry Simones and Fear versus each other, who are you taking, Brad? Oh, geez. That's a fucked up question. That's why we do it. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, can't the coin just balance in the middle? Um, (laughs) If you can flip it and make it bounce on the end, you can take both. But we want to see video proof. If I have to pick one over the other as to which is more, um, uh, uh, lends itself to hardcore, I'd say the Samoans. Um, but which is, which leans itself to you? Oh, to me? Yes. Definitely fear because, um, uh, you know, I don't care about you and I love living in the city. Although I think that the, the versions that are on decline of Western civilization are better, you know, um, those songs, uh, you know, are just buried in there. They're buried in my psyche. You know, yeah. um, uh, as you know, classic fucking early hardcore, you know, and certainly the shows were fucking brutal, you know, and, 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 uh, nothing to fuck around at, you know, fear show, um, extremely violent. Um, but you know, so those, those tunes and, you know, I guess the fear, if you had to pick two things that you didn't like, the fear would be, you know, um, you know, more, um, uh, you know, that's a part of my makeup too, you know, I guess. Um, I think that's fair. Does that make any sense? Did I even answer Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Anything you say makes sense, right? Whatever's true to you yeah. is fair. Yeah. Ben, what's your take on this? If, if Fear the Record was just I Don't Care About You and I Love It in the City, that'd be an amazing record. 
Ben, isn't that a single? Isn't I love living in the city a single? I, I love living in the city. Yeah, the first the first single, and then the B side is uh, "Now You're Dead." Actually, I love living in the city. Might even be the B side or the way around. Yeah. So almost that almost exists. Yeah. Yeah. Ben, what's your take on this? Well, I made this matchup because they both came out the same year. They're both from the San Fernando Valley. They're both like almost like borderline joke punk bands, but they were accepted by the actual punk community. And um, they're joke f- punk. That, that was what I was looking for, Ben. Thank you. I'm not. A yeah, but there were like actual joke punk bands. Like this is a joke. No one, no one accepts this as an as a real punk band. Like and these were like and, yeah. Yeah, but these were joke punk bands that like were accepted as real punk bands, whatever real means in quotes. I'm doing air quotes with my fingers right now. <laughs> what I didn't realize until now is they both have 14 tracks, but one is t- 10 whole minutes longer than the other, which would be the Fear Fear album. Um, I I heard Angry Samoans first, but I saw Fear first. So both of these are really early for me. But man... First of all, the reason I know this later on, I learned this, that the reason a lot of those fear songs sound so strange and choppy and unlike any other songs is that they, the songs were written around the drummer's drum exercises. So he would do these like really manic drum exercises. Then they'd be like, okay, that's the verse. We'll just write chords over that. Like, no wonder, like you have songs like foreign policy and like we destroy the family that are like, what the fuck are they even trying to do? And like, there's, there's like that real choppiness and there's also something kind of sterile about the production of the fear record. And the guitar is like pretty low in the mix. Uh, And that makes me like the way the Samoans record sounds better. It's just more just like mid, mid range, punch you in the gut, fast punk. And you have like it opens with gas chamber and it's just like, all right, we're, we're going, this is it. Like, it's just, it's just more my thing. I mean, I, you know, I grew up on both these records, but I'm going to have to go with back from Samoa. I mean, I, we have to, I'm going to address an elephant in the room. Both these bands have homophobic lyrics. So I guess in that respect, they kind of cancel each other out. And now we're talking about everything beyond that. And, and yeah, that's, that's, it's kind of hard to overlook listening to this stuff now. Yeah, and I don't know, expect anyone to overlook that either. If someone's like, fuck both these bands because they're homophobes, it's like, cool. You're right. Yeah. <laughs> You're I think right. That's, I think that's fair. It's just weird. Like when this is like early stuff you discover and it's like part of your DNA, you know what I mean? Like, I'm not trying to put it on the pedestal because like that is pretty awkward, you know, in like the modern way of, of just like being observant and, and, like worldly of this stuff, like that stuff is disgusting. Like it, it takes you out of the songs now. Right. Like yeah. when I was listening to these both, I was like, Ooh, like that, it like literally taints the songs. Like, I wish I could just be a rocker and slam, but I can't, you know, but yeah. like these records are undeniable. They're like a part of the DNA of punk rock. Like you can't really pull them out. I mean, the, sorry. But- yeah. This, and the standouts, I agree with Brad, uh, I don't care about you and I love living in the city. And I would add to that. Let's have a war. Um, and New York's a right. If you like saxophones is pretty funny. And what I didn't really notice until today is there's so much 
whammy bar abuse on the fear record that like in a pre slayer world, they might be like the, they might have, uh, uh, be on the top of the whammy bar heap. Like what year did this come out? 82, 82. And it's like a so that's wild, not a pre slayer world. That's true. But, but well, pre slayer on record world, right? Cause their first album comes out in 83. Is that right? I think that's right. Anyway, that's what I mean. Yes. I know Slayer was around in 82, but show no mercy comes out in 83. Yeah. Okay. Um, Dude, Jeff Hanneman was abusing whammy bars in 79, man. So check yourself, man. <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess Eddie Van Halen was, but I wouldn't even call that abuse because it, it, it it's there's something musical about it with fear. It's just like, wow, 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 wow. But I, I, I mean, songs like Lights Out, like that's how it's done. Like when I hear that, I'm like, that's how it's done. That's yeah. it. Like the yes. sense of humor is about equal. I don't know. There's something about the Angry Samoans that's, there's something psychedelic about it. Like, and I don't mean psychedelic, like, you know, crimson and clover, strawberry fields forever. I mean, like nuggets, like 65, 66, like American garage rock transitioning into psychedelic music. There's, there's like, yeah. Yeah. And the fear is grimier. Right. Right. It's like grime humor and adolescence, or excuse me, uh, angry Samoans is like, yeah, it's just kind of weirdo. You know, but lights out is undeniable. Yeah, Ben, keep going. Sorry. Oh, uh, so yeah, that's pretty much it. I mean, I'm gonna I'm gonna pick Angry Samoans, but I mean, y- you can't go wrong with either one of these. Joe, what's your take? Uh, I'm gonna go with Fear the Record. Now, the Angry Samoans certainly, uh, uh, maybe musically blueprint for the music that I ended up loving the most okay but i don't know there's just something about the nostalgia that i have attached to fear the record and fear more beer too after that but um uh, the homophobia thing you know the bad brains get a lot of shit for this too because because they they have stuff like that as well now i don't know about the angry samoans i know that lee ving has talked about this in interviews like you know uh not uh justifying what he said but that he recognizes that it's that it it wasn't cool then and it's not cool now kind of thing i don't know about the samoan guys and i know that the bad brains have had that opportunity and didn't did not take it at least hr didn't and went the other direction so yeah, so you're going fear, Joe. Fear, yep, yep, fear. Yeah, me too. I d- I look at these two, and it- it's funny because you know Ben did the matchup, and in doing my homework, I did uh, di yeah. ancient <laughs> artifacts versus fear. <laughs> like it was like, oh shit, we're doing angry smiles. Fuck, because like when I was doing that matchup, I was like, dude, fear is gonna smash on di, you know. And then I've been listening to that di record the last couple of days. I was like, ooh. Like, I think DI might sneak it out because there's so much like Apex Agnew on there. It was just like, God, I can't live without it. And like, there's some slow tracks on there. Like, the last slow track is like pretty long. It's like a three minute, but it's like, it kind of sounds like borderline Joy Division. And it's like, ooh, Agnew, like dipping in that. Like, because Christian so Death good. is like dark, but it's also the songs aren't droney. 
You know, it's like it's up tempo and dark, yeah. you know, but like, I don't know. Good God, that DI record's great. We got to talk about that soon enough. But Angry Simones was his fear. This Angry Simones record is cool. I have it. I enjoy it. But it is silly, you know, and, it, and it's a little, little too silly for me. Although, like, they do tickle me on some shit, right? Like, they're going to get you once in a while. Like, I don't like the stupid epifat silly lyrics era either you know but like sometimes they'll get you like no effects as that song like it's like feeding a tic-tac to a whale and it like made me giggle like oh okay you got me on one you know and this one like they saved hitler's cock like okay that's pretty funny like what the fuck but fear is just so wild like that drum beat that's like the majority of the record is such a wild pulse and they do some weirdo shit like that disconnected song. Like just imagine being in a packed crowd, you know, in their prime. And it's like the beat stops and he's like, disconnected, disconnected. And then it's, da, 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 da. it kicks back in. It's just like, oh my God, you're getting smashed. You know, I don't know if you can pull this fear record out. Like what? happens like i just think this record is pretty important to the dna of everything um it's so ill it is so ill and so wild and they just seem like where a lot of the other bands like the what makes them special like a lot of this early 80s shit is like kind of like the innocence of it like the innocence of attacking subjects that are very dark or fucked up right like especially this OC stuff, right? They're talking about kind of like the dark side of like suburbia, you know, but from like a, a youth point of view and this fear, it just, it seems like they're adults, right? Like they seem like this is like real rock shit, you know? And, and I absolutely love it. It slays, of course, like the tracks that have been singled out, like that's what's up. Can I live in a world without like, I love and love living the city. I don't know. You know, like his voice is so perfect on it, you know, so I'm going fear. That is my take. And uh, yeah, Ben, anything you want to wrap on before we get out of here? Um, there, The other thing I'd point out about both these records is I want to say we got to get out of this place, which is an animals cover, which is on the fear record. And then the time has come today, which is a Chambers Brothers cover is on the Angry Samoans record. So they have a lot in common and they're both grown ass men like metal Mike Saunders, the singer of the angry Samoans was a, he coined the term heavy metal in 1970 when he wrote for like cream magazine. So these guys go back a long time and, and leaving came was also um, in lots of bands going all the way back to the sixties on the East coast before punk even existed. So I think, it's a it's a worthy matchup. They have so much in common. I never even realized it until now. But you're all wrong. The Angry Samoans is a better record. Well, you know, Fear does have a knock because they shout out to Camarillo, but not Oxnard, which is uh, <laughs> heavy. I know it's because uh, of Camarillo State Hospital. But, hey, <laughs> I, I can't even say what I want to say. <laughs> even for the Patreon. Um, hell yeah. Joe, closing thoughts? Uh, it was really good to hear uh all all the you know the the overall story today uh, you know it touched me a lot you know 
you know my story that I got clean in 96. And so that means a lot to me to hear other people express that. So, um, yeah. So thank you. Yeah. We were on a bit of a time limit. I was going to dig into that to see what his road to recovery was, but, uh, everyone should just buy the book, right? I'm yeah. sure it's in there in detail. I think I'm going to do that now. So, yeah. Cause like, you know, on the podcast, we've, we've talked about many different roads out of like taking that dark path, right? Like, some people can go the NA route. It works. Some people go to rehab. It works. Some people just white knuckle it and turn to straight edge like Joe Rivas and it works. Right. So lots of ways out if you're in a dark spot, you know, and, and don't get shy. You can always hit up Joe. He'll yeah. help you out. Huh? Yeah. I'm, I'm down to talk to anybody. Just That's buzz me. Up. That's what's up. Hit up Joe. If you're in a dark spot, you need a way out. I love Joe and you should too. You already do. <laughs> Y'all love Joe more than me, so don't play. <laughs> What's up? That, All right, everyone. And the name of that book one more time is Architects of Self-Destruction, the Brad Logan book. Yeah, get it anywhere except Amazon unless you live in, I guess, a small town in Siberia. Then we understand if you're uh, ordering Amazon. It's all good. <laughs> all right, everyone. We'll talk to you next Monday. Bye-bye.